Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free. Welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles. Carly Kistler-Miller has joined me today, and we are going to talk about Before You Change the Process. Thanks, Miles. You know, I feel like I came in on the middle of a conversation before you change the process. We have a lot of processes in our shops. Are you talking about continuous improvement? Yes, I want to focus on continuous improvement. Aha, gotcha. Now, those process changes should be every day, right? The dilemma that we and our shop performers face is that we and our customers demand best practices and zero defects while at the same time our customers insist on frozen practices, I hate to call them locked down practices, they want the process to be stable over time. They don't want any surprises. If we're changing our process daily. That is a dilemma. I want stable change, change stability, something like that. That's the dilemma. If our practice is frozen to lock in stability, how can we discover let alone implement best practice process changes or improvements. Miles, my brain is starting to hurt. Okay, this might take a minute to sink in. Here we go. I'm thinking of the jobs on the machines. Our shops are always changing processes, like when they set up a new job on a machine. Yes, our shops tend to be high mix, high mix of jobs, and low volume, only thousands, not millions of parts on a setup. High mix, low volume describes our shops. Yet customers want consistent product quality and hold us to be responsible for continuous improvement. But if the process is locked down? As you might imagine, many of our shops have a process for process change. Here, I'm handing you the ISO 9000 2015 standard, which has the following language discussing change in our quality management system. Let's share this with our listeners. Yikes, you start. Okay, item one, 6.3, planning of changes. When the organization determines the need for changes to the quality management system, the changes shall be carried out in a planned manner. I'll just read you the first bullet point. Change to a process. Inputs, activities, outputs, controls, measurements, resources, information, responsibility, procedures, etc. There's four more bullets. Oof. All right, number two is operational planning and control. The organization shall control planned changes and review the consequences of unintended changes, taking action to prevent or mitigate any adverse effects as necessary. Examples are additional inspection and outsource a process. The third one from section 8.3.6 talks about design and development changes. During design and development, changes that are identified shall be reviewed and controlled to ensure there is no adverse impact to the conformity of the product or service. For example, changes in communication with the supply chain. And the fourth is control of changes. The organization shall review and control changes for products or service provision to the extent necessary to ensure continuing conformity with requirements. Whoa, so much for lockdown practices. 
I know, right? I want to discuss four things that I have seen in many companies that derail their plan changes. These four things are transcendent in that they could be considered under each or none of those ISO 9000 points that we just discussed. Transcendent? Really? Yes. Here's the first one. Claiming savings that don't really exist. Usually top-down changes are the result of someone's ideas that if we would just do X, there will be savings. And yet, at the end of the period, those savings are nowhere to be found. Sometimes in companies that went all in on the martial arts yellow belt, green belt kind of thinking, this is particularly a thing. You know, I was following you till the martial arts thing. Martial arts? Martial arts, exactly. It's like green belt versus the process. Only instead of Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris, you're inflicting this on some performer trying to do their best to just make the rate and get the parts out. The problem is, after all the work gets done, the savings never materialize. The savings out ninja are belt-wearing martial art lean ninjas. Okay, I remember a lesson like that in graduate school. It was the Hawthorne effect. So mistake number one, making a process change based on savings that are not documented. They're not falsifiable, to use the language of Karl Popper. If it's only funny money, I call it either boss delusion number one, the savings are there, or green belt fantasy number one, there's going to be savings, trust me. All right, what's number two? Sometimes the ideas are number two. That's a different conversation. Failure to include fringe benefits, labor and overhead, unanticipated maintenance costs, are another unforeseen issue that can torpedo the expected savings. I call this the iceberg mistake. Sure, the numbers can look great when you don't include all the expenses. Sometimes people forget that it takes money to keep the lights on. All right, I'll bet I know what your next focus is going to be. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If there's going to be a bet, it will involve chocolate chip cookies if you miss. All right. I'm betting the third one has to do with only seeing one tiny part of the problem in their solution and not seeing the global costs across the entire process. Skilled, talented employees, what you always call performers. You got that right, Carly. Ha! No cookies for you. I know you. You'll bring in cookies anyhow. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, number three is using production time estimates and rates that reflect substantially different rates of work. I think I know where this is going. The customer asks you to price for the widgets based on their max volume of 50000 per week, but then they only buy 500 a week and the shop gets crushed because of either frequent setups or holding too much inventory that can be made obsolete by the next adjustment and design by the engineers. Bravo, that is exactly the issue that our shops face. Now imagine its reflection, its mirror image. It's kind of like that, for example, we wouldn't intentionally use the setup time for a cam automatic when we are quoting a job that we're planning to run on a CNC. And yet, when was the last time any of us audited the machine hour and labor hour rates that our estimating and quoting department is using? Our latest shop hourly wage survey 
showed an increase in wages across the range of all occupations in our shops of maybe five, six percent. Last year's survey also reported an increase. If your rates for quoting are three years or older, you could be underbidding your actual costs by double digits. Good news, your low price wins the order. Yeah, but bad news is you lose money on every part that you ship. Exactly right, Carly. I call this the apples to oranges mistake, but really it is probably more correct to call it the case of the disappearing profits. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so I have a hunch your last one's going to be some crazy, unexpected intellectual thing. What's the last mistake that our shops could make as they implement process changes? This big smile is for you catching me in my natural tendencies. <laughs> this last one is akin to the second derivative, you know, the rate of change of the rate of change, except it is best explained as failing to account for the hidden costs of change itself. Uh-oh, whenever you say the word cost, I just know that some accountant somewhere will be offended. It's a gift. 49 years in manufacturing and fighting with accountants. It's in my DNA as an operating guy. Okay, Mr. Operating Guy. Take your best shot at the accountants. Okay, here goes. On what line item on our balance sheet does the cost of making this change get entered? Who is tallying the dollar cost value of everyone on the team, everyone in those dreary, mind-numbing, morning-long brainstorming sessions, an hour of brainstorming with the right or wrong people based on their salary, hourly rate equivalents could be in the thousands of dollars. The pizza and free beverages, which are actual cash expenditures, are very minor in cost. Presuming, of course, that someone's actually doing the work that the attendees are all supposed to be doing, while instead they're secretly texting their buddy at the other table about how silly the big guy's idea is. You've been in some of those brainstorming <laughs> yes, sessions, I too. <laughs> the costs of change are in, as invisible as the missing profits that are used to justify that change. The costs of change are not measured. Often they are unseen, and they are therefore not even measured. What are the costs of disruption? What is the cost of resistance to change? What is the cost of adjustment time, temporarily lowered throughput, lowered efficiencies, and lost product due to learning curve non-compliance? These are all invisible at the time when we most need to see them before they are incurred. This is especially important with the performers, right? Worker acceptance of the change is hard to predict. Absolutely. Let's take a look at voluntary face mask compliance out in public right now. It's still not up to 50% at the local gas station. But if it's hard to predict, think of how much more difficult it is to manage. Ooh, mm -mm. In my experience, the key to avoiding all of these mistakes when managing change is to give our performers, the ones that are affected and actually doing the work, giving them an active and empowered role in making the change. Become the change you wish to see comes to my mind. The easiest way to deal with change is to help create it. Yes! These show the importance of having the affected performers involved. Our performers are the local experts, and they'll bring up the unmentioned and invisible costs and consequences 
if we do that, then someone else has to do this and that, and it goes on and on. Because of their intimate knowledge of the process, we can avoid those unmentioned and invisible costs. So claiming savings that don't really exist, ignoring the full costs of the resources involved, using incorrect rates of work in your estimates, and not accounting for the hidden and actual costs of the change itself. Looks like you've heaped up quite a bit of blame for the accountants. Hope you have a fire extinguisher handy for your email inbox. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. In another podcast, we can discuss how our shops are actually creating a culture of innovation and best practices using continuous improvement methods like Paul Aker's two-second lean approach to improve their processes. Creating a culture of experimentation within guardrails to better master their processes. It's a splendid story. And remember, manufacturing is truly the accomplishment of continuous improvement. Literally, we manufacture progress. I'm looking forward to that. And that wraps up today's discussion about four common mistakes when making process changes. Thank you for joining us. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org. Yes, thank you for joining us. Please rate and review the podcast. And if you want to make your life a little easier, you can subscribe to our podcast so you never have to miss one. Speaking of making your life easier, if you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see all we have to offer. And why is a PMPA membership important, Carly? Because, because we, we are, are better, better together. together. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles.